This is a unique podcast exploring the criminal justice system and those involved and affected. We'll educate and expose the public as well as potential jurors to what takes place behind the scenes of those who are facing the system. Your host owns a litigation support firm called Justice Technology Professionals, and he works on criminal and civil cases offering support to defendants and counsel. What you're about to hear is an open dialogue opening the minds to the public to what takes place in reality as opposed to what you think takes place ladies and gentlemen welcome to the justice tech pros podcast here's your host dominic crea hello listeners hope everybody's doing well today uh it's been a minute since my last episode Just haven't had time to get one out, and uh, that's a good thing. I'll never complain about being busy. That's one thing that uh, I'll definitely take as it comes. Sometimes when you're not busy, that's when it's time to complain. So I wanted to get today's episode out. Uh, It's a few of the topics have been on my mind for a little while. I figured they would be a good conversation piece, and they would be interesting as far as explaining my perspective of it to the public and seeing what uh, people take away from it. Uh, The first thing I want to actually start out, I'm going to cover a few different things today. So um, one new feature that is definitely an addition, uh, a positive addition to YouTube, if you notice my last two episodes, they have actual chapters. So people can kind of, if they only want to listen to a segment at one time and then go back to another segment, they're titled and you could see the different chapters. Uh, within the description, you could click on it and it'll take you to that topic. So I try to um, separate everything uh, when I upload it. So as I said, it's a uh, good feature that YouTube had that I honestly wasn't even aware they had till a couple episodes ago, and it made things a little smoother when I'm even for myself if I'm trying to find a topic I was discussing. So uh, definitely take advantage of that. You'll see the different titles of each chapter in the description. Uh, the first thing I want to cover today is a few weeks back, uh, once in a while I catch different podcasts, and I saw one podcast in particular, it came on, and I was watching a little bit of it, and I wanted to uh, take a, a, a point that was being made on the podcast, and maybe just give my two cents and elaborate, because what these individuals were talking about, I see a lot of people do. Um, they were talking about uh, the lying informant, John Panisi, and they were both on the panel, and they were basically saying they don't think the guy's a liar. And I I always think about that. I always wonder when somebody says that, what exactly have they done to make that determination or to make that conclusion? And nine times out of 10, what I'm finding is they pretty much just sit back, listen to the guy talk. (laughs) And if they're impression of his gestures or the way he conducts themselves or... um, the type of words he uses, his body language, whatever it may be, they're basing that opinion on whether the informant is being truthful or if he's a liar, all based on the visual observations that they're making as this person is talking and telling their stories. And I find that fascinating. And I think that goes to a deeper issue, whereas that's probably the mindset of the majority of the juror base. They see somebody in the courtroom, if they're well put together or they're well rehearsed, 
And you have to realize when I say rehearse, that's not trying to get a dig in. That's just the facts. Uh, these informants go through rehearsal before they're put in front of a jury. And what I mean by rehearsal is they'll sit down, the government will ask them questions, the government will go over things with them, and they'll prep them for anything that comes up during trial so they're a little more uh, in touch with how to react, how to respond, and they don't respond in a way that could potentially hurt the case. So they are guided and they're trained, so to speak, in how to perform in front of an audience. And it's the same type of philosophy as it relates to YouTube. They're in front of an audience and they're, and they're performing. And they had, they had some good training on that, courtesy of the federal government or the state government, whatever uh, level the informant is uh, working at. And, and I watch these two individuals go back and forth and like, no, I don't think he's lying. And, and to myself, I just always ask... And again, folks, this isn't me saying to convince anybody that he is lying. That's not my point. My point just is people come to a conclusion without really understanding or without even vetting. I think a lot of times they just want to say, ah, he's not a liar because I think he's not a liar and that's it. And one of my first questions, if I ever have a conversation with somebody and they, and they pose that to me, is I ask them, I say, well, in order for you to conclude this, this informant's not a liar, what research did you do? Did you pull court documents? Did you go through transcripts? Did you see cross-examinations if they were caught in any lies on the stand? Did you talk to any of the defendants that this informant impacted? Did you talk to any of the defendants' families that this informant impacted? And that's really the test. Now, I'm, again, I'm not saying, well, if the defendant says he's lying, he's lying. That's not what I'm saying at all. What I'm saying is you at least need to understand all elements of the situation before you... Uh, conclusively decide, well, he's not a liar. And too many people don't do that. They pass off opinions as if they're experts without knowing any facts, without talking to defendants, without talking to defendants' families, without understanding the case, understanding if they have a tendency to lie, understand if they were caught in past lies and it came back to bite them at trial. These are all things that you have to use. It's uh, when you, When you're trying to decide the credibility of somebody. A lot of it has to do with track record. What have they done in the past? Um, were, they, were there lies that were ever told that did surface, that did come out that this individual did in fact lie? Did the informant commit perjury on, on past cases? To me, these are all things that need to be analyzed and understood before you can conclusively say, Oh, well, this person's not a liar. And I see that so often. I've seen people doing that with uh, the other lying informant, Michael uh, DeLeonardo. And I, it always just baffles me because first question is, what are you basing that on? Did you talk to the defendants? Because I could tell you what I spoke to personally. Um, I've spoke to many defendants impacted by many of these lying informants that are on YouTube. And I always get a different side to that story. Uh, for every one that says, oh, they didn't lie, when you start talking to those they impacted, they point to specific lies and citations. And I'm not just talking one word against the other. It's not as if uh, the defendant just ain't always lying and he's not backing it up. There's paperwork to back it up and there's uh, documentation to back it up and you have to read everything, digest everything, and then you could kind of isolate uh, whereas you see somebody lying. And way too many often, uh, to, way too often, I just... I, I can't relate to that. Uh, people right away will just conclude, well, this guy's not a liar. That, all right, what did you do to come to that conclusion? Uh, as we know, there's a lot of, uh, there's podcasters. A lot of podcasters, they'll have like a favorite informant 
And they'll go on there and say, well, he's definitely not a liar. Okay, how did you conclude that? Is it from talking to your friend? Your friend's not going to tell you he's a liar. Or is it from doing your research? Is it from understanding it on your own? And then coming to that conclusion. Because here's the thing, folks. If people read and digest and listen to everything, and then they say, well, uh, I, I absorbed everything, I went through A, B, and C, and I still believe the guy's not informant, uh, not a liar. Uh, they are informants, just not a liar. Then you, ha you have to at least respect that. You may have come to a different conclusion. I may have read the same type of information. I may have read the same documentation. And I may come to a different conclusion. But I, I respect the effort. I respect the use of common sense. I respect the use of not just assuming, oh, well, he's not a liar. And, and not basing it off of a, a gut feeling and watching somebody perform on YouTube. Uh, I, find that, I find that very... Uh, very confusing to me when people make those final conclusions just based on a YouTube observation. As we know, when somebody's in the public eye, they're always going to put their best foot forward. So again, I, I give people credit when they do take the time, they go through it, and then if at the end they say, listen, I read both sides, my interpretation, this guy's not lying, the defendant's lying. Okay, you know, uh, me personally, I could just live with that logic. I can understand it. I don't think the person's hard-headed. I don't think the person's being difficult. I think that's just how they concluded. And, and I just personally respect that. But far too often, people make these assumptions and they just conclude without reading one stitch of paperwork, one transcript, one court document, uh, one record of minutes or talking to defendants and defendants' family. And I just... That'll never make sense to me, and that's just how it's going to always be on YouTube and social media, and unfortunately, even in the jury, uh, in the jury room. I'm sure there's a lot of people that they just go by the impression of the individual, and they decide somebody's fate based on their impression, and it's just such a dangerous game. On YouTube and stuff, it doesn't matter, obviously. It's nonsense. Who cares? Who thinks who's a liar on YouTube? But what I try to focus on is the bigger picture when the time comes where these people are... Uh, have somebody's life in their hands. <coughs> Excuse me. Have somebody's life in their hands and they have to judge based on the words of an informant and they have to determine is this informant lying or is he not lying? So on that level, that's what I try to appeal to and by doing it on the podcast, perhaps it plants a few seeds and, and causes some people just to take a moment and think about things. So I wanted to touch on that because that uh, the episode I was watching is what kind of sparked it. And at the time, I wrote it down as a note that I wanted to cover it. And I just remember these two guys were going back and forth and they just kept saying, no, I don't think he's a liar. And in my head, I said, well, that just tells me you didn't listen to one uh, episode I put out. You didn't read one document that's available from different trials that this informant was on. Um, because I think you would have had a little bit more of a deeper reflection and awful also, I noticed they didn't cite anything. They didn't say, well, I read this and that. It was just pretty much based on, well, the way he talks, I don't think he's a liar. And again, I can't relate to that mentality on, every, on any level. And that has a lot to do with why I do what I do to try to have people not look at things that way and not make judgments based on, on, on that alone, on visuals and, and what they're hearing and listening to alone. If you want to make a serious judgment on somebody, I think you have to do a little more, a little more research than that. And you know, it all kind of ties in, folks. I mean, even on here, when people are going by credibility and, and what somebody's, uh, uh, the weight of their words, 
you have to weigh the individual. What have they accomplished? What do they do for a living? What's their profession? Um, I, you see a lot of people on here playing lawyer, and the funny part is they say, I played lawyer. Trust me, folks, I don't want to be a lawyer. I'm totally happy doing what I'm doing. I'm an entrepreneur. I own three different types of businesses, uh, and, I, and I find each one just as fascinating. In, in my Justice Tech Pros business, we focus on the litigation support. Not not a lawyer. I know people try to use that. Again, it's just um, something they try to use to discredit me where they say, oh, he thinks he's a lawyer. Again, would not want to be a lawyer. I could probably count on one hand how many lawyers that I think are good dudes. Okay, so uh, I, I, if I wanted to be a lawyer, folks, anybody could be a lawyer. You go, you study, you take the test, you become a lawyer. It's not like something that's unachievable. Uh I've got many degrees and certificates, so that's not the issue. The issue is it's just not something that's for me. I also don't like playing politics, and when you're a lawyer, a good lawyer, you have to be able to play politics. You have to be able to uh, uh, put on a good face with the other side, and I would have a problem with all of that. So my, my focus and what I enjoy is more of a hands-on, behind-the-scenes supporting counsel and helping them build a case pointing out lies, going through the discovery, uncovering things that were hidden by the government uh, on the discovery where they, I spoke about this in past episodes, they'll give you the discovery and they'll load it with bloatware. So it's very hard to find certain documents and you have to go through it. And also there'll be a lot of duplicate files. I enjoy that. I enjoy the uh, challenge that that presents. Um, and I also enjoy working with certain attorneys one-on-one. -on -one. I enjoy the relationship. I enjoy bouncing things off each other. Uh, the other thing which I really found myself liking, which I didn't like at first, is um, uh, when we have certain transcripts of audios, you know, I'll give that to a staff member and they'll transcribe it. And I always go through it again because I notice everybody hears things differently and I have to make sure certain words are accurate because as we know, one word could change the entire context of a conversation. So I actually started enjoying that. I had... I purchased certain software which makes enhancements to the audio. You're able to take out background noise and it really makes things very clear. And I was able to help a few attorneys on clarifying some some words which kind of changed the direction and strategy of the defense. And things like that I really enjoy. I also enjoy the investigative part of it where um, I remember on one case where I was using Google Maps to map out how long it would take uh, somebody to drive a certain route because the government was saying it took, say, X minutes, and I had a member of my team physically drive it and record it with a GoPro cam. I enjoyed things like that, outside of the box, working with the defense. And again, I, I, I get, uh, I, I like different topics to keep me interesting, so being a business owner, having three different businesses, I enjoy that. I, uh, one day I'll have a meeting, and it will be about, um, you know, one of my other businesses, and the topics will all be covered based on that industry. So I enjoy that. Every day I find it interesting and every day is kind of like a new adventure, so to speak. The other topic I wanted to dive into, which my assistant, uh, Debbie, announced was the influence that the media has as far as guilt when it relates to a defendant or it relates to a person. And um, now social media influences credibility. They try to, if you have somebody pushing a narrative saying uh, something disparaging about an individual, uh, now you have social media to use that arm. And a lot of people use that to push a narrative and they'll try to just flood it with a one-way opinion, 
without really giving the other side a voice. And that's, you know, really ties into the whole we push back thing with the voice. Um, but not into, I don't want to get sidetracked with that. My point just is that I want to analyze and talk about as it relates to all different types of media and how all different types of media could influence public perception, right? If you see something in your face every day, if you notice, for example, whenever there's a high profile case or a high profile target, you'll notice the newspaper will start, if there's an upcoming indictment, the newspaper will start running stories about this person, talking about their their past, talking about past crimes they may have committed, things they have, may have been incarcerated for. Those are all just tiny little seeds and little breadcrumbs to just start changing the opinion somebody may have of an individual that they never even met. They may have never heard of this person, but the government, whoever is influencing the media, they want to start introducing this individual to the public because there may be an upcoming trial and they're hoping they could get some jurors who have these preconceived notions about the potential defendant prior to sitting in the jury box. It's all very calculated. And I'm sure many members of the public see what's going on and they grasp it, but some don't. Some, unfortunately, they just believe everything they see or hear without taking the time to investigate it. And it kind of goes back to what I was talking about earlier. Well, you need to really see the whole picture to understand what's going on. And what sparked this for me was I saw um, in one of the communities that follows my podcast, I, I saw a post where somebody um, only posted one one aspect of a case. And it was, I believe it was a bail hearing, you know, it was one aspect of a case. And it just got me thinking that when, when things are segmented out, you could pretty much paint anybody guilty and you could paint anybody um you could paint anybody in any light you wish to do so based on what you put out there without putting out the whole the whole entire picture. And that, and that is a tactic that's done time and time again. You have newspapers doing it. Social media is now doing it. It all depends on, I guess, what is the overall consensus that the government wants the people to believe, and then who runs with that without investigating it? You know, who eats it up and says, this is how it is, this is etched in stone, let's spread it out to the masses. And it's a very, I mean, listen, it's a very powerful tool. The way they utilize it, it's a very powerful tool. We see it time and again. People just hear something, read something, and to them it's gospel. Uh, they, they they don't uh, they get blinders on. They say, well, I saw this person was a bad individual. I saw their past crimes, so that means anything they get indicted for in the future, they got to be guilty of as well. Now, I understand the train of thought of that. People think that. But I think the government and those who take part in that is playing a dangerous game with the justice system. And they're playing a dangerous game with making sure that the Constitution and what it was intended for is followed through properly. Once you start going down that road where you start picking and choosing what to put out without giving the entire picture, if that's what you do, if you're involved in the media and you're involved in all that and you're a news reporter, you're an investigative journalist, it, it, it's just playing a dangerous game because you're going down the road of painting one side of a story without allowing the other side any kind of voice or spotlight or example. 
And that kind of ties into, as I said, with we push back, uh, as I spoke about in the past, and the importance of just having another side of things. And it's not to say, well, don't believe this side, only believe what I'm putting out. That's not what it is as f- at all. I know I know a lot of people, those who oppose we push back and, and what I do and oppose myself, that's what they try to paint it, that what I'm doing. But it's clearly not, if you just listen to everything, it's clearly not. My only recommendation and my only suggestion is people take the time to hear everything. And I'm not an investigative journalist, so I'm not here to put out both sides. What I'm here to do is counteract the other side because it's so overwhelming. There are people ask me, oh, but you're not talking about the other side. Well, I don't need to give the other side of things. The government already has that covered. The informants already have that covered. The fanboys of the informants already have that covered. All the mob channels already have that covered. All of the quote-unquote genre channels on different uh, uh, on different areas that may be based on books or on informants or on the government, they all have that covered. So I don't really need to dive into that. It's pretty much, I'm already outnumbered as it is, so I'm going to focus on the defendant side of things, what took place in court, and go by the court documents. This way, the public could come to me, come to my channels, come to my resources, see that side, and then they could go to the overwhelming other side and then uh, conclude where they stand. So that's why I don't go down that road. A, B, I'm on the defense team uh, strategy, uh, ideology. You know, that's just how I'm built. I try to, depending on the case, obviously, depending on if I feel passionate about it. There's certain um, cases that attorneys approached me for uh, that they asked me part of that I just didn't take the case. There's things that don't interest me and I don't want a part of it. But if I believe in something, uh, yeah, I, I want to take a, um, a forward approach to it and I want to be right in the trenches with it and I want to understand it. And if I see... What's being spread is not accurate. I want to do my small part to try to offer up the other, uh, the other side, or uh, you know, just to give the public both perspectives. Because far too often they're only getting one perspective. They're only hearing, say, uh, the audio of one one appearance where the prosecution's talking, or one appearance where the judge is talking. Uh, think about this, folks. How many shows, I'm sure a lot of people watch like Dateline, right, um, 2020. Think about how many of those shows are about, later on in the episode, you'll find out it was about an innocent person, somebody who's exonerated, somebody who's being painted guilty. Think about the beginning of those episodes, when they're showing the media footage, when they're showing what the prosecution saying in the courtroom, painting these individuals as horrible people, saying they committed these heinous acts. Everything at the beginning is really tainted and swayed to to have the viewer say, wow, this 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 guy's guilty or this girl's guilty. At the beginning of the show, right, you're, you're vested. You're like, man, this person really must have did it. Then by the end, when you start, when they start unveiling the whole story and you start seeing the facts of the case and you start seeing the evidence of the case and not just what the prosecution's saying at different hearings. As we all know, at different hearings, the prosecution could make a lot of claims um, and I'm going to get into that in another section uh, of this uh, top episode because I want to talk about things they do at bail hearings and my uh, firsthand experience with that. But my point is, it's the prosecution's job to to um, lay out their side of things, their investigative work for their case, what they believe 
uh, to be true. And it's the defense job to do the opposite, to lay out their side of the case, to go into the defense uh, strategy, to go into what the defendant's version of events are. So you have two, two people clashing and pushing and pulling. The problem is, overwhelmingly, the media always gets attracted to the bigger narrative, the one given out by the government. And people eat that up. They'll look to paint somebody guilty before trial even starts. Uh, you see it time and again if somebody's labeled organized crime uh, for weeks before uh, an upcoming indictment may even hit. They'll be feeding newspaper stories, talking about this person's past, talking about allegations about this person. If there's informants involved, the informants may be given their two cents about what this person's all about. And that's all going on now. Um, in, in today's times, I feel and I believe and, I, and I've seen it, the government is also using an extension of social media, which is found in their informant companion. They're using their informants who have a YouTube channel or have a social media outlet to perhaps drop certain seeds, to perhaps uh, bring up certain things, to perhaps talk about certain people. That's all strategically planned. That's all to get the public familiar with the person, hearing negative things about this person. So they start to just have in the back of their head, whenever they see this individual, see their name, they automatically associate negative things or negative stories or negative accusations with this individual. So if and when the time comes and this person's indicted, there's a lot of people who potentially could be part of the jury pool that already have this bias towards this person. And that was one victory for the government, one victory in getting a guilty verdict. They started early and they kept driving certain points home. They kept bringing up certain things or painting somebody. They, they, may, they may instruct their informants to go on YouTube and have episode after episode about a person. Think about it. Think of all the different informants, right? If you ever notice, folks, I haven't seen them. Most of these informants are always talking about higher profile people um, because they just don't have the name, right? So they want a bigger name and they'll talk about that person and they'll tell stories about that person. I believe they try to use these bigger names and, the, and somebody with maybe a, a larger reputation to give themselves credibility. They'll attach to a larger name. You even have content creators who do that, right? You have content creators in certain genres. They'll grab somebody's name and use that name. They'll hashtag the name. They'll talk about the name. Why are they doing that? Think about it. Because without that, how relevant really are these people? Without that bringing in the public where the public will say, oh, wait, they're talking about this person. I heard of this person. If they don't do that, what do they have to offer? I guess they don't have their own stories. They don't have their own experiences. They don't have things in life they accomplished that they could talk about and, and dissect and analyze. So they have to attach themselves <clears throat> to perhaps somebody who is more established, perhaps somebody who does have a better reputation or a more popular reputation, whatever it may be. That's what they need to draw them in. And you don't have to take my word for it. You could see it depending on diff the different genres my listeners are in. You could see it. Uh, a lot of the small channels looking to grow, people looking for attention, they'll pick higher target individuals with big names or popular names or names that um, have brought a lot of discussion. They'll bring that into the topic 
Now, that's just how it goes. I mean, people do it in all different types of genres. You know, whether you're talking about the news, they may talk about celebrities. That's just how it goes. But my point just is, when they start focusing on that, you have to ask yourself, what is the purpose? Why are they bringing so much attention to this person? And it's all part of a bigger picture. Whether it's, uh, say, to knock somebody's credibility or it's to try to drag somebody or in the case that I was referring to where they want to paint somebody as guilty even before a trial happens, even before an indictment happens. And the government, they're all very smart people. I mean, you have the top of the top in the government, right? So they know this. They know the power of the media. And that's why in my little tiny microscopic part, I try to do what I can to rebuff that, to give another side, to say, okay, they're saying X, they're saying X. I'm going to say why. Let the public see all different aspects and then let the public draw a conclusion rather than just constantly get flooded and flooded and flooded with the information that only fits the government narrative. And the government has a lot of components to their narrative, especially now lately with all the informants on YouTube. The informants are pretty much an extension of the government. The government wants them to bring somebody up, boom, they're going to bring somebody up. The government wants them to taunt somebody to try to get a reaction, to perhaps tickle the wire to see if this person starts talking about the informant so they could possibly jam them up. Boom, they'll use their extension. And they have a lot of extensions. I don't know, what is there, 15, 20 informants? I don't even know, total, on YouTube. So think about that. They have all these informants now, all working for them in some capacity, trying to get a narrative out of there. And then what happens from there, folks? Now, before I get into that, each informant has their own uh, uh, viewer base, right? Fan base. Some have hundreds of thousands of fans. Some have tens of thousands of fans. But they're all bringing their own fan base. Then you have the uh, those channels, which I always feel are ridiculous to me, but you have those mob genre channels, right, where they're talking about people, talking about their business, they're getting now their information from a lot of those informants. I'm not saying all of them do. Some some go by history and things like that and court records, and that's different. You know, they're, they're trying to put in the research. But you get some that they'll just take whatever the informant's pushing uh, and uh, on top of that, whatever the government is then feeding to the informant, they'll take that and then they'll put that out. So... In essence, it's just a recycled version of what the government and the informant want the people to hear about, want the people to think about. You, you'll see even if a, an informant doesn't like somebody on a personal level, you'll notice they'll use their format just to go at that person, just to talk about lies about that person. They'll always say, oh, oh uh, this happened to that person, try to embarrass that person. They'll try to tell stories that maybe they think are embarrassing. To me, I always take things from the source. Excuse me, let me get a drink of water. Sorry about that. To me, when I weigh something, I want to go by the source of it, right? I want to go by what is this person's agenda? Do they have an agenda? If they're painting this individual in a bad light, does it put them in a better light? Or are they just so far removed it's simply their opinion and they're expressing it? You have to weigh all those things. And you have to understand all those things, I feel. You have to understand those things to really judge who you're looking at and what they're all about. And from my experience, all the informants I have come across on YouTube, they'll pick somebody, whoever they don't like, somebody they may not had a good past with. They'll do episode after episode looking to knock that person, looking to embarrass that person. 
with no regard for the impact on family, friends, defense, the defendant themselves, because what do they care, right? They have they have a vengeance, so to speak. They have something that they want to get off their chest. Perhaps something happened in their former life before they turned informant uh, that they kept inside, and they figured one day I'll get I'll get I'll get them back, and this is their way of getting them back. And the government, in conjunction with all of their little sub arms, and when I say sub arms, I'm talking about the informants. I'm talking about the mob channels that use the informants' words, use uh, what's on the internet as opposed to doing historical research. I'm talking about the, that class of, of individuals. And I, and I just find it, I find it uh, concerning because I always look at the bigger picture of that and you just see how hard it really is for certain defendants to get a fair trial when they have all of that going against them, things that they're not even aware of. A lot of these defendants aren't even aware of what goes on on social media, sites like Reddit. It's not even in their world. It's not even in their universe. So now they're stepping in the courtroom thinking they're getting this fair trial, not understanding that before they even went in there, the public, a vast majority of the public, already had them painted guilty based on things being spread throughout social media. And that's why it's so important, and I hope uh, little by little more defense teams, more defendants start going down this path. Because as I always say, folks, I don't know how long I'm going to do this. I'm going to do it till I lose interest in it. I'm going to do it till um, I can maybe hand it off to somebody to keep going. But it's not just about one person doing it. The more people that do it, the more it helps balance it out. Obviously, it'll never get balanced, uh, especially when you have the government behind uh, the media and the narrative, it's just never going to be balanced. People could see what goes on in politics, right? Depending on the media. Uh, there's all different stories, all different sides. It gets confusing. Now, that's politics. Now, we're on, on the politic level, it goes on. So now you're talking about on the justice side level, and it has just a big impact. I mean, if you ever watch that show, I know I talk about it a lot only because I really enjoyed the documentary, but that um, uh, the Memphis Three, it was on HBO, I forgot the actual name of the documentary, but it had to do with the three individuals who were convicted of killing kids. And the way the media, I mean, when you watch it, before these kids even got onto trial, the media was saying these kids were Satan worshippers, all because they dressed in black. I mean, the kids like dressed in black. They listened to uh, heavy metal at the time, and that's all they were putting. It was in a smaller town, so they were just trying to say these kids were devil worshippers, bad people that listen to horrible music. These kids didn't have a shot from day one. And then look what happened. But They wasted 20 years of their lives till they finally got their freedom. All people thinking they were guilty. People uh, sending nasty letters to their family, death threats. I mean, you think about that. It's really insane how much power the government could have. And in extension now, on a smaller scale, look at the power certain social media um, strategies can have. When you have people with low moral character and they use social media to go with somebody they don't like and they'll, they'll do all these horrible things. You see it on the news like swatting and you see all this stuff. It's terrible. Think about it, folks. How many poor kids, right, from social media, from things being spread about them, how many poor kids end their life over that? To me, that's so tragic and horrible that uh, you, you just, your heart breaks for somebody who just felt that this stupid social media nonsense is so important. You know, you just wish you could talk to that person, tell them it doesn't mean anything. Shut it off. 
Don't look at it. Just live your life. And it's just a shame when somebody's so entrenched in that and they think it holds so much weight. Let me tell you something, folks. It really doesn't. It really doesn't. And um, if you don't believe me, just think of all the famous people and all things like that where things came out on them or social media they were attacked. It really didn't affect their life. They're still making a ton of money. Okay, they may not have done a movie for a little while because somebody said they were not a good person or whatever, but did it really affect their life overall? It's such a minor, minor thing. And uh, and that's a celebrity. So it would have a bigger impact than, say, an average Joe, and that's just my point. It's just such a minor, minute thing, and a lot of individuals on social media think they have a lot more power than they really do. You know, it's not the real world. You don't, uh, for me, I gauge the real world based on tangible things. Uh, my profession, my relationships in real life, my friends in real life, my coworkers, my colleagues, my partners. That's what makes up your life. You can't get wrapped up into what goes on in these crazy YouTube nonsensical nonsensical world. I mean, you, you just can't. And often people do and they get immersed in it. And for me, I feel it's all part of just one big picture. You know, it's one, one big picture where they're using all these different tools to perhaps attack somebody, label somebody, or convict somebody of guilt before the trial even starts. So you have to really just think about that. When you're reading things, when you're going through it, just ask yourself, well, is this just, is this just one side of the equation? Are they just talking about one perspective? And obviously, when you're talking about the informant podcast, or you're talking about when the media is focused on one narrative, it is the, the one side of the situation. And I just feel it's, too many people get lost in that and too, too many people don't reflect on that and they don't acknowledge the fact that they're being forced a certain, a certain opinion without questioning it. And, and that's fine. Say you do question it and then at the end of it, you, you realize that the popular opinion or the opinion being pushed is the right one. Hey, that's how it goes. But at least you took the time to understand it, review it, and really digest it. And that's all I try to push on my podcast. Just have everybody go through it, read it, different things, different cases, different versions. I'm focused on the criminal justice. I'm focused on different defendants. I try to get a lot of information out for the defendants just so the public has something to look at, something to read, and something to compare these stories to. And when the uh, media and the government team up, it's a nasty combination. It really is. And they, they appeal on all different levels. They'll go to local town papers to really pump out news story after news story about certain defendants prior to trial, during trial, after trial. And as we know, folks, the judge will say, oh, don't read any newspaper to the jury. Don't look up anything. Don't check your phone. Come on now. <laughs> you really think people don't open up their website Google a defendant's name, look at the news. To me, it's just unrealistic. It's unrealistic. Unless they're sequestered and everything's cut off, it's just un an unrealistic request. And time and again, the government knows it's an unrealistic request. The government knows they could still utilize that media. And that's why I laugh when I started uh, my podcast and I started We Push Back. 
I had so many people saying, oh, he's trying to taint the jury. Are you insane? Are you really insane? How am I going to taint the jury when I'm up against the government, the media, all these informants? You're saying my little podcast is tainting the jury? Well, I'll tell you what, you're giving me a lot of credit. And you may call it taint. I call it educate. And I hope I could educate the jury. I hope I could enlighten them. I hope I get that opportunity where one day a juror member will perhaps tell me, hey, you know what? I heard your podcast and it had me look at things a little differently. That'll be a huge win for me. Even if I just get one, I'll be happy. So I, I guess I appreciate the compliment that they feel I have that much influence, but I just don't think it's, it's a reality. Um, I know people who have listened to my podcast. I've changed a lot of minds and that's a huge win for me. I have changed a lot of people's way of thinking. They may have came out, and can you blame them? They came out, all they see is informant after informant. That's what they're going to believe. They got nothing else to go by. But I had individuals contact me and say after they started listening to my shows and started researching on their own, they now have a different opinion. That's a win for me. That's a win because at the very least, somebody used common sense, somebody used strategy, somebody used their brain and said, you know what, let me not just believe everything this person's saying, let me look into it a little bit. That's a huge win. And, and I feel the more people doing that, and that's why I enjoy when I have different content creators talking about uh, different aspects of we push back. I mean, <laughs> there's only a couple of us left, guys, but that's all right. I told you, I actually have a few friends that I'm trying to help out. They're not as computer savvy as me, um, and I just, I don't have the time to help them at this point, but I'm eventually going to get there, and I think there's a couple that are really going to... Uh, uh, help me in this sense, help, not even me, just help the, the, the movement and help those of us that are left, uh, keep pushing it. And, and when you think about it, it's just getting them to the website. That's all it's about. And unfortunately or fortunately, I have relationships with people who were affected, unfortunately, by the justice system and were impacted by a lot of these informants. And we've been talking about different ideas and different ways of, uh, some people are just not comfortable coming on the internet, so different ways of getting their message out there. And I'll come up with a lot of those things. Uh, and that's very important. I told you I started writing, my office started writing certain defendants. Um, some of them high profile, some of them not, that were impacted by a lot of these informants that are now on YouTube. And they're going to have a lot to say. The wheels are turning on that. Things are starting to go in motion. Uh, as I get things, I don't like to talk about things till I get concrete things. And as I get them, I'll start rolling them out start putting out certain episodes. It's a slow process, and it's a process where you have to get people comfortable. Some people by nature are just not comfortable talking about certain things, but there's a way we, that you can express your side of things without breaking that barrier of comfort. And I, I help to guide them on that and, and give them a little strategy to put themselves at ease. And sometimes that takes um, some time. But the... Uh, the vision I have for that is, well, now you'll have several different sources, not just we push back sources, but several different, giving the public a different perspective, a different philosophy, and a different opinion on things. And I, and I do believe in the future that will help, that will help in the sense that perhaps you get a few jurors who now alter their way of thinking. Perhaps you get certain listeners who then pass on different knowledge and things they've learned. Because the only goal I really have, the YouTube channel is great. I enjoy it just like hobby-wise. And it's a great distraction from real life. I mean, we all have real life problems and real life things going on. For me, when I'm on here, it's a nice distraction. I don't think about anything else. I just think about this stuff. 
So it, it's great for that, but it's not my focus. My focus is the website. And I'm going to, with that, I'm going to go into another segment and I want to tell a, a brief story that was actually just told to me about the impact the website is having. So I, I had a meeting with an attorney and um, it, it was pretty interesting. About a month ago, I posted a document of a habeas that was written about a defendant. And prior to that, the attorney was telling me how it was just stalled in the court. Nothing was happening. It was just sitting there. No acknowledgement. Just sitting there. Well, I'll tell you what. A week after that was posted to We Push Back, the attorney told me they got a call and now they're in the system and they got a date to move forward. Now, was it directly We Push Back? I don't know. Was it a coincidence? I don't know. But I'll tell you one thing, the, the lawyer's convinced it had to do with We Push Back. He heard some rumblings, he heard some links were being shared. So I'll tell you one thing, I'm not 100% convinced, but if that's the case, that's a huge win, folks. That's a huge win. If, if that's starting to have this impact now, with only 20,000, 30,000 visitors hitting the site, imagine when it really takes off and I start pushing the marketing for it, and I start doing the advertising I'm going to do and the commercials I'm going to do. And you start getting people taking notice and you start bringing things to attention and it actually has an impact, that'll be phenomenal. But that made me feel good uh, just for the sheer fact that we had an outlet, this person had an outlet to talk about it, to post it, and to bring attention of how long it's taken for their their brief or their motion to be heard. And now and now it's back in the hopper. Now things are moving again where they were stalled for, for years. I'm not talking months, years it was stalled. And now it's back in the hopper. So um, I found that very, very interesting. You know, the, the other thing that I really wanted to go into, which, again, a post brought it, made me think about it and I wrote it down, is uh, bail hearings and what goes on in bail hearings. And, and you'll notice at a bail hearing, one of the goals of the prosecutor is to keep that person detained, right? They don't want the judge letting that person out. So what do they do? They'll paint the most horrid picture of that individual they can. Any accusation that was ever made, they're going to say it in court. Whether it has basis to it, whether it has facts backing it up or not, they're going to say it to detain that person. And yes, they can say it. And I'll tell you how I know firsthand they can say it, which is documented in the minutes. Because I know people are going to say, oh, if it's not true, they can't say it. Bullshit. They could say whatever the hell they want, and then it's up to the defense to say, no, that's not true. Give you an example. For the longest time, in the case of the United States versus Crea, Londonio, Caldwell, and Madonna, at one of the bail hearings, the government came out, they were trying to hold a defendant, and they came out and said, oh, we have an audio tape, Your Honor. And on this audio tape, we have the defendant talking to this person and saying X, Y, and Z, and we have it, and we're going to play it during trial. Based on that, that was one of the reasons why the judge held this person on, you know, in the jail, kept them on detention, would not release them. And it had a lot, of, a lot in part to do with the prosecution making that claim that they had this evidence, right? Okay, flash forward now. They didn't have that, didn't exist, was nowhere in the discovery. Now, if the defense doesn't go through the discovery, and I'm talking thousands of audios, I'm not talking, you know, 5,000, tens of thousands of audios, terabytes of information of discovery, the defense had to go through that. Lo and behold, what'd we find? No audio exists like that. 
Not at all. Defendant wasn't on it. Wasn't on any tapes. So what happens? The defendant winds up getting bail after the judge really had no choice because that was the second lie that we proved. One of the other lies we proved was with the the informant, uh, Frank Pesqua, and I'm not going to get into that. I, I talked about that on other past episodes, but we proved he was lying as well based on what was in the discovery. So the judge really had no choice to basically say, well, you told us two lies, so we got to let this guy out. My point just is, I laugh when people go, oh, well, if they're saying it at the bail hearing, it's got to be true. Again, bullshit. Look at all of the exonerated individuals. What do you think was said at their bail hearing? All these people who were found years, innocent, years later, what do you think was said at their bail, bail hearing? You'd think the prosecutor said, well, we have a weak case. We're, we're not really sure if this guy's guilty, but we're going to make him really guilty uh, throughout our case, but we're not really sure. Of course not. They're going to paint them in the worst possible light possible. The worst possible light possible. And so if you only hear excerpts from that specific hearing, you're going to think, my God, look at this monster. Again, it has to do with education. It has to do with understanding a case. I see so many people talk about cases and they'll be like, oh, um, well, this guy's guilty or this guy's this. All right, did you read a minute? Did you read the actual minutes from the court? Did you see how things developed? Did you go through the transcripts of each hearing? And I know nine out of 10, they didn't. And I'll tell you why. To go through the transcripts, it's not a matter of going on PACER. You have to go on PACER. You have to find out who the court transcriber was for that hearing. Because different hearings, they have different transcribers. You then have to reach out to that transcriber and you have to pay them to give you the, the minutes from that hearing. Not many people are doing that, folks. And to really understand a case, to really understand charges, to really understand accusations, you have to read those minutes. You have to see... <clears throat> I, you know, I never had allergies. I think I'm getting allergies. I've never had them my whole life. But my eyes are itching. I notice my throat. Like, what's this all about? Never had, now I'm going to get it in my 40s? What the? All right, anyway. anyway um, where was I? Okay, yeah, with the minutes. Without having the actual minutes of what took place in the court, it's very hard for somebody to understand what really uh, the, the accusations being made versus evidence. It's hard for somebody to understand that. You have to read what took place at the sidebar. There may be things that um, the defense may have objected to and the, the judge just wouldn't allow in and you get a lot of that from the sidebar minutes. If, if it's at trial, at the hearing, there's no sidebar. Everything's kind of just aired out. But at trial, they'll have the sidebar minutes. But at different hearings, it's just important to read all that. And I'm not saying after you read all that, you may still have the same conclusion, but at least you did your homework. At least you understand the case. At least you could cite things. You could say, oh yeah, well, this took place because X, Y, and Z. You're not just going to say, well, look what the prosecutor's saying. Wow, look at everything this guy's saying. This guy must be the worst guy on the face of the earth. And again, forget about specific examples. Just think of all the innocent people, all of the people the Innocence Project saved, all the people that were freed after years and years. Now go and play their bail hearing minutes, uh, audio. Go read their bail, uh, bail hearing minutes. I'm getting tongue-tied. Go read that stuff. You're going to see the worst of the worst. They're painting them as a horrible person, but yet they find out years later they were innocent. So guess what? Everything they said was a lie, right? If they're innocent, everything they said was a lie. So that's why when people make these statements, like, oh, said at that hearing, that's 100% true. It's just, it's so ill-informed. It's such an ignorant statement to make 
just from com- a common sense perspective. And I feel a lot of people just make those statements because they may have a personal uh, hatred against somebody. They may dislike somebody. And, and that's just what they do. That's just what they do. Uh, I'll give you another example. I had a gentleman on my show, a lawyer. He uh, wrote a book, He Said, She Said. This lawyer was accused by his wife of doing horrible things to his son. Uh, obviously, he came out later on. Guy was 100% innocent. 100% innocent. Now, there's nothing worse to be accused of. I don't care what it is. Nothing worse to be accused of than being like a pedophile. That's got to be the worst thing in the world to ever be accused of. So, think about that. This guy is having his reputation destroyed in the newspaper. The bail hearing. You got to hear what they said about this guy. Destroying this guy's reputation. And here's the bad part about it, folks. Here's the bad part about it. After they do all that damage in the media and all that, you think they do these big retraction exposés? Of course not. They don't do anything about it. They just leave it alone. Let it play out. Oh, he was found innocent. Okay. Nothing to clear the person's name on social media. Nothing to clear the person's name on web forums or groups. Think about that. What they put out that first time around now lives forever. So all of those terrible things now live forever. And that's why it's so important to get the other side of the coin out there. It's so important to get the other opinions out there and people speak up. And that's why I tell family members, defendants, email me. Send emails. You want to talk about your loved one. Things are being said against them. Reach out to me. That's why I reached out to the inmates. I can only imagine what a lot of these people were behind bars that are having these lies told about them by these informants. Why these informants are living it up, right? Uh, playing the part, telling stories, and they're behind jail, and they got on top of it, on top of being in prison, they got to hear BS being told about them. And, and I'm not saying, oh, I'm going to everybody because they're all innocent. That's not what I'm saying at all, and whoever hears that isn't paying attention. What I'm saying is, whether they're innocent or guilty is irrelevant on what I'm doing. All I'm saying is, this is what's going on on the internet. This is what uh, these informants are telling um, do you want to offer another side to that? Do you want to tell a, another side to maybe a specific story or a specific uh, event that took place? That's what I'm talking about. Because on top of perhaps serving life in prison, they don't need to have people telling lies and destroying their reputation. And their family has to sit back idle and listen to that. So I try to alleviate a little of that if I can. Why? I don't know. I take offense to it. I guess because maybe I see so many forums passing so much nonsense about family members of mine, things that are just blatantly not true. And I'm not going to come on here, it's just not my style, I'm not going to go every lie and say this, it's irrelevant to me. I mean, it's people I don't know, just people talking nonsense. If it comes my way, yes, I address it and I try to clarify it. But to chase it down, I'd be on here 24-7, folks, there's a lot of those mob fanboy pages, people eat that up, so I'd be on here 25-7 counteracting falsities. So I try to pick and choose my battles and focus on what what has a bigger message. And uh, I'll tell you one thing, which I noticed lately, a lot of these uh, lying informant enablers, people who host them, boy, are they getting upset by things I'm doing. They constantly bringing me out of their mouth. I I, saw, <laughs> I didn't get to see it, but I heard about it. Apparently a, a little podcaster and when I mean little, I mean like little in statute. The little podcaster was like freaking out. He had a freak out about we push back and about me. Comical. Comical at best. Again, credibility, folks. Credibility. Research what this person's accomplished. Research this person's past. Research things they've done. 
mockeries they've made in themselves for a few dollars. And you have your answers. So do I take that seriously? Not at all. I expect that. As I always say, people of that caliber, people of that level, I expect that. They should hate me. They should despise me. I'm everything they're not. I believe in things they never believe in. So they should despise me. The same way I feel about them, they should feel about me. That's the bottom line. And I, I just find it funny. I, I find things like that funny when <laughs> when they're smiling. Listen, you don't care about it. Don't bring it up. Don't mention it. I don't bring these people up. Don't care what they're doing. Don't care who enables them. Don't care who platforms them. But I'm going to do what I do about it. I'm going to voice my opinion and put it out there. I'm going to show my opinion. I'm going I'm to talk about it. Doesn't affect me in the least. Not here to try to win anybody over. Not here to make friends. Not here to play politics with people who platform lying informants. I couldn't give a crap what they think about me. I couldn't give a crap what they think about we push back. Bottom line is, whatever they think, whatever they say, and whatever they do, isn't going to impact what I'm doing in one sense, in any way, shape, or form. It'll never impact what I'm doing. If anything, it'll just motivate me even more. Or it'll make me focus on certain things or certain aspects or certain informants that they bring to my attention. But it's not going to uh, cause me to change gears. It's not going to, all it's going to do is light, light that fuel. I've always been the type who gets ignited by things like that, by, by haters, by doubters that always fed my flame. And fortunately, I've had a lot of that through the years, so that flame keeps going. And I feel I have a lot more to accomplish in life. I'm only 45. I got a long way to go. A lot more things I want to do. So to me, it tells me when they get that bent out of shape, when they focus on it like that, they know the power it potentially has. And they know how once I start shifting gears and I focus on how these enablers are aiding and adding to these false narratives and these attacks on families and these attacks on defendants, they're not going to like that kind of spotlight on them. They're going to not like people to see, well, wait a minute, you're sitting there idle and you're letting this guy bash this one, tell lies about this one, abuse this one? Hmm, it's going to have people think about their character, their integrity, what they're all about. And you could tell what they're all about. You could tell the professionals from the fanboys. You could tell the professionals from those who <laughs> I call humps. You know, they're like wise guy humps, I call them. May not be a great term, but that's a term that me and my friends always used. And you could tell immediately. You could tell by the relationship. You could tell by, once the cigars go in the mouth, folks, that's it, it's over. You get the lying informant enablers, pop that cigar in the mouth, it's done. That's it. They're officially, <laughs> they're officially fanboys. So... Once you see that cigar get lit, popped in the mouth, a little swag, a little lean in how they're sitting, it's over. They're absorbed. <laughs> they're part of the fanboy group, all right? But uh, on a serious note, the point just is when you start focusing on these things and you start looking that at them from an open perspective, not such a closed-minded perspective, I do think people will take the time and will see that what I'm doing here makes sense. They don't have to agree with it. They may think, ah, it's stupid, but they'll understand it makes sense. Somebody who's logical and rational, they'll understand it makes sense. They don't got to agree with it, but they'll say, okay, it makes sense. There's this other side of everything going on, and he's, and he's touching on the defendant's side. I think I uh, spoke enough for today, folks. Oh, I do want to give a case update on the case of United States versus Madonna.
Crea, Londonio, and Caldwell. As we kind of anticipated, the government wound up asking for an extension. Uh, they'll most likely have it granted. The defense isn't really going to um, oppose the extension. Uh, so I believe they asked, they did ask for 60 days. So it'll be 60 days from June 13th. Uh, I don't have my calendar on me, but that's where we're at. They got a 60 day. They're going to get a 60 day extension, and we'll go on. As I said, folks, it's a long process. Um, these things. It's just how it plays out. Just how it plays out. And then we'll have to. We then rebuttal uh, their response, and then the judge. Then it goes into the three appellate judges' hands on the circuit level. So we'll see how that plays out. But as of now, just for those who want to give a quick update, it's been pushed back from June 13th. They asked for the government asked for a 60-day extension in their response, and I, I would think. I mean, I, the truth is, I think it's it's a legitimate request in the sense that it's a ton of information. I mean, a ton of information they got to go through. So I, I, I reasonably, I, I don't think it's any kind of game. To be honest, I think they they need the time to go through it all. So we'll see how that uh, pans out, and I'll keep people posted as significant updates come my way. The other thing I wanted to touch on is I, I got certain emails. I guess there's like chaos going in in certain genres. Folks, I'm going to be honest. I stopped listening to a lot of things. Couldn't be bothered. Uh, I have an old saying, if you don't want to be part of the circus, don't buy tickets. I don't want to be part of the circus. Uh, I'm not here for that kind of nonsense. I'm here for uh, sole purpose. I don't make money here. All this thing does is cost me money. I don't monetize, so it's not about that. It's about just getting things off my chest, working in the small part I can to maybe bring some things to light, and when the day comes, I'm done, I'm done. I made some nice friendships on here. I said this last time, the few friendships I make made, those people, I could communicate them with them off of social media. So when I want to talk about things, we talk about things that have nothing to do with social media offline because we're building a friendship. Um, not here for that kind of nonsense, not here to be part of any kind of circus. And, uh, I'm not here to bend my morals. There's things I'm, I stand against, there's things I tolerate and things I won't tolerate. And I see way too much in different genres that I would never tolerate. And I see people that I would never tolerate. I wouldn't walk across the same side of the street as these people, nonetheless interact with them. Uh, so we all have different opinions on that. Everybody has opinions who they think is bad guys. People think I'm a bad guy. People think my family's a bad guy. I may think informants are bad guys. Uh, you know, I may think people uh, who beat women are bad guys. Those, those are, we all have different scales, right? So we all have different scales. So from my perspective, there's people I don't want to associate with, and I'm sure they don't want to associate with me. So that's why I don't get involved in that nonsense. Um, that's why I even, I don't, I don't really go in chats. I don't really watch much because I just can't relate to a lot of things that go on. Uh, I just can't relate to that. I'm more of an in-person, uh, you know, type of individual. If I have a problem, I'd rather deal with your face-to-face, not on the internet, virtually. That's weird to me. I didn't grow up in a, in a world where grown men conduct themselves that way. I can't relate to that. Uh, maybe my way of thinking is antiquated, but on no level can I relate to that. And I raise my, my family the same way. Um, you deal with real-life things in real life. Uh, so I, I just can't relate to it. So that's all I'm going to say about that. Uh, my, I don't respond to the emails. I don't respond to the inquiries. Don't care about what's going on. Don't care about what takes place in different genres. Not here for that. Not part of that circus. Uh, as I said, my podcast is in the 
criminal justice genre. I've made a lot of contacts in that. I watch a lot of shows in that. I interact with that. Never had any of these issues in, a, in different genres. You have a lot of crazy issues. That's why you got to kind of navigate and, and pick and choose what works for you. And that's that's how I navigate social media. I talked about how even when I use Facebook to look at dog groups, you got to use it for all different things that you find interesting and not get overwhelmed in, with it, not get sucked into it, and not really give people the time of day that don't deserve the time of day. I'll never understand that. You know, and then you see like just crazy things I'll hear like doesn't like this person one day, friends another day. I can't relate to any of that, folks. Uh, I'm a prick in a lot of ways, I'm going to be honest. Uh, I'm unforgiving in a lot of ways. Certain things cross lines with me and I'll never address you, talk to you, look in your direction ever again. I don't care what you do or say, but that's probably a fault, but I'm proud of that fault. I, I stick to it and that's just the way I am. So I can, uh, relate to a lot of that stuff and I'm not judging. It's just again, not for me. Who am I? It's just one person's opinion, right? So that's it for today, folks. I thought, I thought it was a pretty good episode. I, I got off a lot. Uh, that I wanted to discuss. I think it was beneficial. And as always, um, let me know, email, uh, comment, what you like about the episode, what if you don't like about the episode. This is an evolving thing. I always like to change it up sometimes, add things, talk about different things. I've had a few people email me about coming on for interviews. I'm going to be honest, I'm just not in that headspace for the interviews right now. Now, if it's somebody on a we push back level, where they want to get their word out, I'll always be in the headspace for that because honestly, I'm just going to turn it on and let them talk. So anybody on that level, always feel free to email me. Always feel free to reach out. You got something you want to say. Uh, for the few projects I'm working on with defendants and defendants' family, I've even, uh, there may be some things that I may write. And I haven't decided. Uh, I may either read it myself or I may have the AI We Push Back uh, host read it. I haven't decided yet. Uh, but either way, I'll get their word out to my point. So as far as that goes, keep those coming. Anything you want to say to refute lies being made against you, your family members, stories being told up that you want to tell a different side to that, please always reach out. Wepushback.com at Gmail. And also, if you go to the Wepushback.com website, you'll have a contact us. You could do it that way as well. And this was episode 101, folks. Till next time. You've been listening to the Justice Tech Pros podcast with Dominic Crea, one of the most unique podcasts on the internet, discussing the obstacles the defense team faces when trying a case, what goes on behind the scenes during pretrial and motion phase, holding defense attorneys accountable, making sure they're fighting for their clients, the difference between textbook law and how things truly play out in a courtroom, and everything in between. And everything in between. We hope you've gotten some useful and practical information from this show and we'll be back soon until then find us on twitter facebook and instagram at justice tech pros to email the show with questions and comments it's podcast at justice tech pros.com till next time this is justice tech pros podcast and dominic crea signing off